0: Hi there, I'm Travis, and you are listening to Why Is That, the podcast. a a A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work, and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk and laying his finger aside of his nose, and giving a nod, up the chimney he rose. He sprung to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew, like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim, ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. This probably sounded very familiar to you, all until at least the very last line. You were probably expecting me to say, Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. The passage I read was from A Visit from St. Nicholas, though once again you are probably more familiar with the name, Twas the Night Before Christmas. The poem has been called arguably the best known verses ever written by an American, and as we discussed last year, is one of the biggest influences on our modern conception of Santa Claus. Today the poem is known by its first line, Twas the Night Before Christmas, and that final line has indeed been changed to Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. The ending that I read is from the original when it was first published anonymously in 1823. The change begs the question, why do we say Merry Christmas and not Happy Christmas? We say Happy Birthday, Happy Thanksgiving, Happy New Year, but not Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas, Harry. Happy Christmas, Harry. Oh yes, thank you, Daniel Radcliffe. I should clarify. By we say Merry Christmas, I mean North Americans. The British say Happy Christmas. Why is there a disconnect between the two? Well, I'm glad you asked. In delving into this question, the first place I looked was in actually Latin. It was the Romans who first celebrated the birth of Jesus and began our Christmas traditions. When in Rome, how would you go about wishing someone a Merry Christmas? There are always variations throughout time and place, but by and large it would have been something akin to Felicim Natalum Christi. Natalum Christi approximately means the birthday of Christ, Natalum being the origin of our modern word nativity, and Christi coming from the Greek Christos, meaning the anointed, and long being the title of Jesus of Nazareth. Felisum by itself would typically translate as lucky. If you remember the Harry Potter potion Felix Felicis, it was known as liquid luck, and the word Felix often denoted someone who was favored by the goddess Fortuna, as was the case with Lucius Cornelius Sulla Felix. It is the context of the sentence that changes felicem from lucky to happy. Thus the Romans, like their European contemporaries, would have been on the happy Christmas bandwagon. Modern-day Romans, a.k.a. Italians, have updated the well-wishing to Buon Natale, but the Spanish stick a little closer to the original with Feliz Navidad. One thing you likely noticed is that in those Romance languages, Christmas is not uttered. Instead, it is always referred to with the Nativity. The word Christmas originated in Old English. It started as two words, Christmas. As you might guess, it described the church service, or Mass, that was held each year on Jesus' birth. As Old English developed into Middle English, Christmas started to be spelt as one word commonly in the mid-14th century. However, even though the change to one word occurred, it continued to be pronounced with the original vowel sound. As English continued to develop Christis, started to be pronounced as Christ, but Christmas remains similar and is why we say Christmas today. Father Christmas first appeared in this time period in a carol written by Richard Smart, the rector of Plymtree, somewhere between 1435 to 1477, though he called him Sir Christmas and continued to use the E between Christ and Mass. Noel, 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 who is there that singeth so? I am here, Sir Christmas. Welcome, my lord Sir Christmas. Welcome to us all, both more and less. Come near, Noel. Sir Christmas then gives news of Christ's birth and urges his hearers to drink. Pouvez bien pas toute la compagnie. Make good cheer and be right merry. In Stuart times, the city of York would sometimes have an organizer called Captain Christmas in the same vein, and I just have to admit that Captain sounds much cooler than Sir or Father. As you could hear from the Richard Smart excerpt, in his time, being merry was associated with Christmas, but Sir Christmas's greeting was instead Noel, which also refers to the nativity. It just goes through French to get to English first. It was about a hundred years later, in the 1590s, that we start seeing Christmas in more of a verb sense, such as to celebrate Christmas. It was after this point that we get into the Merry Christmas and Happy Christmas distinction. The word merry, with its meaning of pleasing, agreeable, exciting feelings of enjoyment, is an older word than happy. We can definitely trace it back to miri in Middle English, to mirgi in Old English, and in the sense of using it as an adverb, all the way back to the Proto-Germanic mirgijas. Happy, on the other hand, is a relatively young word, having appeared in the late 14th century. It meant lucky, favored by fortune, being in advantageous circumstances, prosperous. And it came from the word hap, which meant chance, fortune, and the noun suffix e, spelled y, meaning very glad. As we already discussed with the Latin and Spanish Felix, happy was another term that started its life meaning lucky, and has since come to mean delighted, pleased, or glad. In a way, happy is in a sense the English form of felicem and maybe we should all jump on the Happy Christmas bandwagon if we want to do as the Romans did, and emulate the Felicum, Natale, and perhaps is part of the reason that happy has gained the widespread use of all of our other holidays and birthdays. In medieval England, Christmas was often celebrated by fasting up until December 24th, and then having 12 full days of Christmas, known as the 12 days of Christmas. Presents were typically not exchanged until January 6th, the 12th night but each of the eleven nights prior were definitely merry. Christmas as a single word was first recorded in this time, 1038 to be exact, and celebrations were a mix of Christian, Roman, and Saxon tradition. As these midwinter extravaganzas were so great, it naturally led to a connection between merry and Christmas. A letter written during the reign of King Henry VI between 1421 and 1471 had this to say on the subject. It draweth fast unto Christmas, on which time every true Christian man should be merry, jocund, and glad. In all of Shakespeare's works, he only mentions Christmas three times. In one of those three, he connects Christmas with merry without actually saying merry Christmas. The excerpt comes from Love's Labour's Lost, believed to have been written in the 1590s. I see the trick in it. Here was a consent, knowing aforehand of our merriment, to dash it like a Christmas comedy. These examples show how closely associated the word "merry" was to the celebration of Christmas. One was expected to make merry during the holiday season. It is assumed that people were likely saying Merry Christmas in this time period, but when exactly the phrase started is unknown. The earliest surviving example of Merry Christmas comes from a 1534 letter from John Fisher to Thomas Cromwell. It read as follows. This our Lord God send you a Merry Christmas and a comfortable to your heart's desire. It is unlikely that John Fisher coined the phrase Merry Christmas, but this does give us the very latest date that the phrase would have come into use. Finding early examples of Happy Christmas has been far more difficult. The sources I have read on the subject seem to assume that people were saying Happy Christmas around this time as well, but do not quote it. This is partially due to people being more interested in why we say Merry Christmas, as it is the odd one out, rather than whether or not we said Happy Christmas way back when. Either way, if we look at just the words Happy and Merry on their own, I mentioned that Merry is an older word, but you have probably noticed that it has largely fallen out of use in our modern world. Sure, we have Merry Christmas and various holiday-related uses like God rest ye Merry Gentlemen, But if you notice, beyond those and various set phrases like make merry, merry-go-round, and the like, we do not really use merry on its own. While, by contrast, we probably use happy just about every day. If we look at the Google Books Ngram viewer to compare the uses of merry and happy in books that were published from 1500 to 2008, we can see that merry reached a climax in the first half of the 1600s and that since 1634, Happy has outappeared appeared Mary. This is obviously not a perfect description of use, but it does demonstrate how Mary has fallen out of use, and Happy has become ascendant. This largely provides the details for the early period. While it provides an interesting start, it was more the developments in the 18th and 19th centuries that have impacted our use today. In October 1775, Major General Philip Schuyler wrote a letter that contained the following line, Be pleased to make my best respects to General Lee, General Gates, and the gentlemen of your suit. I hope we shall all meet at a Merry Christmas. Once again, not really a greeting as we use it today, though it does show that the connection between Merry and Christmas remained into the 18th century and crossed the ocean to the colonies. As we saw with the 1823 edition of Twas the Night Before Christmas, Happy Christmas was indeed a Christmas greeting at the time as well. There is a persistent myth about Christmas that you have most likely heard. It has gained traction as real historical fact since at least 1903 when F.G. Kinton published an article with the lofty title, The Man Who Invented Christmas. This idea has been so universally accepted it inspired Les Standiford to publish a historical fiction book with the same title about how Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol and then revived Our Holiday Spirits. That book was then turned into a 2017 movie of the same name that while it only made $8.1 million at the box office, it has found success with critics and in streaming. You will notice, though, that I said myth. It is not entirely inaccurate to say that Dickens had an impact on the popularity and customs of Christmas, but he was far from inventing or reinventing it. Let's explore that for a moment. A Christmas Carol was published in December of 1843. For those who support the notion of Dickens inventing Christmas, they will point to pieces like that of William MacPeace Thackeray, famed author of Vanity Fair, that boldly declared that a Christmas carol "occasioned immense hospitality throughout England," was the means of lighting up hundreds of kind fires at Christmas time, "caused a wonderful outpouring of Christmas good feeling," "of Christmas punch brewing," "an awful slaughter of Christmas turkeys," and "roasting and basting of Christmas beef." The 1808 poem by Sir Walter Scott noted, England was merry England when old Christmas brought his sports again, and then continues to mournfully observe how the festival had grown to a point where it was almost forgotten. However, you remember that Twas the Night Before Christmas was published in 1823, 20 years before A Christmas Carol, and that letter I quoted wishing George Washington a Merry Christmas was written in 1775, 60 years before. In fact, George Washington's famous crossing of the Delaware was in part planned because the Americans believed that the Hessian mercenaries would be drunk and tired from a night of Christmas revelry. It should be noted that military historian Edward G. Lengel wrote there is no truth to the legend of the Germans being too drunk to fight, but that is the popular story. You might be thinking, well, okay, Travis, those examples were all in America. Couldn't these claims of the invention of Christmas be true for Charles Dickens' London? Well, let's look at the development of Christmas in England and decide together. In 336, the first recorded Christmas celebration occurred in Rome. As Britannia remained under direct Roman rule until 410, it is likely that Christmas made it over naturally in this time period as the popularity of Christianity grew throughout the empire. Within Britannia, this would have been celebrated similarly to the Romans, which was a combination of the old Saturnalia festival and the new more holy and Christian-related celebrations. As Roman rule waned, Christmas would have continued and took on some local customs, for instance, with leftover pagan customs such as the Saxon Midwinter Feast of Yule. The medieval festivities were boisterous affairs that were directed by the lords of misrule. One common Christmas game in this time period was known as Hot Cockles and involved a person being blindfolded and then slapped from behind with the goal of guessing who it was that slapped them. If the slappy guessed correctly, then the slapper would have to put on the blindfold to be the next victim. If they guessed incorrectly, the game continued. If I had to guess, Barring Stinson probably hated this game. Carol's grew in popularity in this time period, as did Drunken Partying. King Henry II was known to have hosted Christmas feasts in 24 different places throughout his 34-year reign. The king and other aristocrats of medieval Britain had important roles in Christmas. They were responsible for providing the housing for the communal feasting in their great halls. In Tudor England, Christmas was known to be less boisterous than medieval, but it was still a good party. The tradition of the 12 days of Christmas was common and one of the favorite things to do on the 12th night was to watch the performance of a play. For instance, Shakespeare's 12th night is called that not due to any plot in the performance but because it was originally performed at a 12th night party. King Henry VIII even wrote a popular Christmas song, Green Groweth the Holly. Then the Protestant Reformation happened. This is important because it brought on a wave of puritanism in England. The Puritans were English Protestants who sought to purify the Church of England of any and all Roman Catholic practices and instead purely followed the Bible. One of the practices that Puritans took aim at was the celebration of Christmas. Puritans found that the holiday was impious as it was known to result in English jails being filled with drunks and brawlers who had used the holiday as an excuse to break the law. During the era of the English Civil War and its aftermath, these Puritans came to control the English Parliament. One of their most famous acts was to outlaw the celebration of Christmas. Christmas remained outlawed from 1647 to 1660. Most popular histories of Christmas will then say something akin to, Despite the lifting of the Christmas ban, the holiday remained disreputable and fell out of fashion until Dickens and the Victorian age revived the spirit. And we will continue looking at the evidence. When the Puritans banned the holiday, it sparked a Christmas riot in Canterbury, where the church was still decked out in Christmas decorations, and this inspired the 1652 publication of the book The Vindication of Christmas. The restoration of King Charles II in 1660 ended the ban, and the Anglican faith was back in power. In 1723, a traveler through England had this to say about the way the Twelve Days of Christmas were celebrated in England. The nobility and gentry retire to their respective seats in the country, and there, with their relations, neighbors, and tenants, keep carnivals in their own houses, hospitality, music, balls, and play, as much during this season all over England as in any kingdom whatever. And in 1704, Robert Nelson published a book detailing the festivals and fasts of the Church of England. He had this to say about Christmas Day. Instead of making it an instrument of religion, we chiefly employ this holiday season in vanity and folly, when our joy evaporates in extravagance and degenerates into sin and sensuality, when we express it by luxury and intemperance, to the great scandal of our Savior and his holy religion. In addition to the invented Christmas notion, we are also often told that it was Prince Albert, the consort of Queen Victoria, who introduced the Christmas tree to England in the 1840s. Yet it was a different German noble who brought the practice. Queen Charlotte, wife of King George III, was the one who set up the first known English tree at the Queen's Lodge in Windsor for Christmas 1800. Queen Charlotte was famous among the royal court for bringing her German customs of Christmas celebrations with her to England. From 1761, she publicly displayed and decorated a yew bow in one of the largest rooms at Kew Palace. The Queen's Christmas festivity would conclude with the distribution of gifts from the branch. In 1800, she decided that it was time to create a new sensation. The Queen planned to hold a giant Christmas party for the children of the principal families in Windsor. She ordered an entire yew tree potted and brought to the Queen's Lodge, where it was decorated with fruit and baubles for display in the middle of the drawing room floor. A first-hand account from Dr. John Watkins, a biographer of Queen Charlotte, described the tree as follows. From the branches of which bunches of sweetmeats, almonds and raisins, and papers, fruits and toys, most tastefully arranged, the whole illuminated by small wax candles. After the company had walked round and admired the tree, each child obtained a portion of the sweets it bore, together with a toy, and then all returned home, quite delighted. This created demand for Christmas trees throughout the upper-class English homes. We have archival evidence that George, 2nd Lord Kenyon, had a tree in 1802, and that Frederick, 5th Earl of Bristol, had one in 1804. From there, the Christmas tree tradition spread and was firmly established by the time Queen Charlotte died in 1818. In 1829, Charles Greville, a member of the Privy Council, describes the Christmas trees that were put up at the 5th Earl Cowper's house thus. Three trees in great pots, he tells us were put up upon a long table covered with pink linen. Each tree was illuminated with three circular tiers of colored wax candles, blue, green, red, and white. Before each tree was displayed a quantity of toys, gloves, pocket handkerchiefs, workboxes, books, and various other articles, presents made to the owner of the tree. It was very pretty. Then there is the successful literary career of Charles Dickens, It began with the publication of the Pickwick Papers in 1836. Here is an excerpt. Happy, happy Christmas, that can win us back to the delusions of our childish days, that can recall to the old man the pleasures of his youth, that can transport the sailor and the traveler thousands of miles away, back to his own fireside and his quiet home. Charles Dickens himself even admits that he was partially inspired to write a Christmas carol based on his own life experiences of celebrating Christmas as a child. With that evidence, I think it is fairly safe to say that Christmas was not dead when Dickens published A Christmas Carol in 1843. It was still celebrated in both England and in the United States. In the United Kingdom, Christmas Day had become a bank holiday in 1834 and has remained that way ever since. This long tangent debunking the idea of Charles Dickens inventing Christmas may seem a little out of place in an episode about Merry Christmas and Happy Christmas, but I promise that there is a point. The point is that Christmas was still celebrated by the people who lived in the England of Charles Dickens, but there was a disconnect between the common working class people and the aristocrats. In the medieval time period, Christmas was a communal time and the aristocrats were involved with the celebration of the commoner's Christmas. They provided the Great Hall and the space for the games. The Black Death, the emancipation of the serfs, the hostility of the Puritans, and architectural changes that led to the disappearance of the Great Hall had all combined to separate the two groups of people. The aristocracy and the gentry had lost their place of hosting the festivities. The working class folks never stopped making Christmas merry, but they no longer involved the nobles. You will also notice that when I described Queen Charlotte's party with the Christmas tree, I mentioned that it was for children of principal families, not the poor. This disconnect is where the changes start and it is part of the reason that Prince Albert gets credit for the Christmas tree tradition and not Queen Charlotte. This is because the royal family's 1848 Christmas photo in front of their decorated tree was the thing that popularized the tradition outside the royal aristocracies of England and outside of German immigrants in the Americas. The 1843 publication of A Christmas Carol helped to break down those walls a little bit as well. The story is universal, and it became a bestseller. The first edition was published on December 19th, and had sold out within five days. Over the next year, an additional 13 editions had been released and sold out just as quickly. It grew so popular that Dickens started hosting public readings of the story, and wherever he went, he sold out the venue as people were so invested in the story. While I just took great lengths to show that the publication of the story did not invent or reinvent Christmas, it did fill it with a new vibrancy, and thanks to the moral of the story, it helped add a charitable side to the Christmas season. To a degree, it bridged the gap between rich and poor Christmas traditions and gave each the essential idea of what Christmas means and what a celebration of the holiday should entail. The huge demand for a Christmas carol, and Charles Dickens in general, also proved that Christmas was marketable. The Industrial Revolution is typically dated from 1760 to around 1820 or 1840. This dramatically changed the economy and the way we interact with it. The economy shifted with more local options to mass-produced. Dickens showed that Christmas could be mass-produced just like anything else. In A Christmas Carol, Tiny Tim famously says, a Merry Christmas to All, God Bless Us, Every One. In the same year, 1843, the first mass-produced Christmas card was designed and produced by John Calcott Horsley. On it, the card read, A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to You. Both the Christmas card and the works of Charles Dickens spread to the United States. Thanks to the popularity of such works and the subsequent attempts to capitalize on this popularity, the greeting Merry Christmas became further embedded in American culture. As noted, Christmas and Merry have a long history together, and it was customary to wish one a Merry Christmas. But the popularity of works like A Christmas Carol helped to solidify the use and keep people from changing away from using any other greeting. Thanks to this popularity, Twas the Night Before Christmas had its last line updated to reflect the cultural preference for Merry Christmas, and it remains that way to this day. That explains why the Americans use Merry Christmas, but does not quite explain why the English use Happy Christmas. Well, you remember how I talked about the distinction between the upper-class Christmas celebrations and lower-class Christmas celebrations? If you think about the main characters of Dickens, beyond Scrooge, they are all working-class poor, and it was working-class poor who said Merry Christmas. Saying Merry Christmas brought to mind a rowdy, drunken party, and the aristocrats of England did not want to associate themselves with such disgusting character flaws and the like. Instead, they chose a more dignified greeting. Happy Christmas. If you have seen Game of Thrones, you might remember a scene where Tywin coached a disguised aria because she used the phrase, my lord, which marked her as a person of learning, instead of my lord, which was how a peasant would have said it. It is a small distinction, but an important one, that showed the educational differences between the peasants and lords of Westeros. Similarly, in England, if you said Merry Christmas, you were showing you were one of the disreputable types, but if you said Happy Christmas, you were one of the good ones. In the days of Dickens, the poor said Merry, and the rich, Happy. The aristocrats continued to use Happy, while Merry spread its popularity. The middle class, though soon recognized the distinction, and the one thing that the middle class never wants is to be lumped in with the poor. As a result, they started to copy the rich, and thus the shift to Happy Christmas gained momentum. Helping this along was the royal family. In the 20th century, we humans gained the ability to transmit our voices over large distances with the radio. Let's turn it over to King George V and his 1932 Christmas message, the first Christmas radio message from the royal family. Children, to all, to each, I wish a happy Christmas. God bless you. You will notice that King George wishes everyone a happy Christmas. This is a tradition that Queen Elizabeth II continues to this day. As it was the royal's preferred method, so too was it the English preferred method, and that is why the Americans say Merry Christmas and the English say Happy Christmas. Whichever is your preferred usage. I hope your December holidays, even if it is not Christmas or you have no holiday, is still great. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Why Is That podcast. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app, whether that is Podcast Republic, Acast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, or wherever else podcasts are streamed. We'll see you back next decade, aka in four weeks. Until then, cheers.